0: It's only a kick, a
1: jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
2: Peter, for the love of God. Do not spoil this week's Bachelorette. I have not watched it. Don't say anything about it. I know you're about to go into it and talk about Bachelorette this week. I have not watched. Do not spoil it. All I can say is that I hope that- No, no. There's nothing you can say. That's all you can say. How much do you think it would take to book a
0: cruise just for the three or four of us to go to Bruges without anyone else on the vessel? How much money do you think they're they're wasting while that while that ship is idling
2: in port?
1: You should talk to Carl and Honig about it. I think Metalark would foot the bill.
2: Yeah. We we'll go to Iowa first, then we can go to Bruges. How about that? Does that work? Really easy itinerary. I like it. A very well-trodden trip. We could do like a Mississippi
0: River boat. Have you seen any of this episode? Do you know what town they go to this episode? No,
1: because Stop. Stop. Right. Stop.
0: Stop. <laughs> Just end it. All right. It's a really cheesy episode. I hope
2: you can make it through. Oh, no, don't. Don't. Is it in Wisconsin or something? Is that a hint? About what's happening in this episode Cheese curds, something it Takes two lips to talk, just remember that
0: Eight the shoot, haul, The runner, loose ball It's good With 4.4 to go Shannon, don't want to fall Shannon from the corner And it's over Gonzaga The slipper still fits The cry goes up both far and near For underdog Underdog underdog. Joe Namath, number 12, has been the one big sidelight. He's come down here and he says the Jets are going to win. In fact, he doesn't even predict it. He says, I guarantee a Jet victory. Oh my goodness, I even in the guy's league.
2: In this lifetime,
0: you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. Underdog. Underdog. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced, and on paper,
1: they're just better. Oh my goodness, the longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. Rick Frank in a stunning, unbelievable
0: upset. Shock it all in college basketball. Underdog.
1: Underdog I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly Because I promise you They're going to come at you with everything they've got well, What is the to the distance
2: from Creed.
0: 11 seconds, you've got 10 seconds The countdown going on right
2: now Morrow, up to Sult 5 seconds left in the game you
1: believe in miracles?
2: Yes! boy. George The dream is alive
1: Speed of lightning, lightning Roar of thunder, thunder Fighting all who rise underdog
0: underdog underdog well then i guess there's only one thing left to do win the whole fucking thing hey everybody welcome back wonder what we are going to be talking about today it's all of us here together tom havertrope Jordan Brenner, me, Peter Keating, on the Underdogs podcast, bringing you the best in the world of long shots, from The Bachelor to,
2: well, what's the other extreme? Darts? The NFL? (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. darts and the NFL can't be in the same end of the spectrum. They're, They're very different. That's three sides of a
1: triangle, right? Do those sort of get the same ratings, darts and football games? It's
0: very hard for me to keep calm while I'm introducing the show and think at the same time. You guys have that trouble? I guess I guess my natural habitat is just screaming, preferably at one of you. It's hard to be like super enthusiastic without blowing Maze's ears out. So, I just want to say we have great stuff coming up. We have new research on the NFL. Oh
1: shit. I was one out away from nailing a parlay of no run first inning bets and then Jose Miranda hit a two-out home run to destroy it all. I'm sorry, Jordan, are you actually betting during the show, I bet before the show, but I am following my bets. Wow, during the show,
2: he would never ever bet during the record, of course,
0: not. That's right. You bet on the twins not scoring in the first inning with Byron Buxton playing. <laughs> that is gambling, that's that's playing with fire, my friends.
1: The Reds and Phillies went scoreless in the first, Cubs and Nationals went scoreless in the first, and I was five of six outs there in the Royals twins game when Jose Miranda said. No way, Jose, and ruin my day.
0: How would you punctuate that? No way, semicolon, Jose, exclamation point.
2: Who are you, John (laughs) Sterling? More like Miranda Wrongs. Yeah.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah. Tom, you have the right to remain
2: silent. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. <laughs> we were just stretching earlier. Now I'm really fired up. All right, Peter, what are we what are we talking about today?
0: You tell me, Tom. We're talking about your exciting research to start things off about NFL sleepers and busts, with maybe a little bit of a look at holding people accountable for their predictions about NFL sleepers and busts.
1: That's right. The theme of today's show is accountability. Accountability for pundits and later accountability for you, Peter. That would be accountability for pundits and accountability for puns. Mm, you beat
0: me to it. I was going to go there. Well, you know, Tom, with with us, you got the pundit. You got
2: me making the puns and Jordan's the dits <laughs> and it happens. Okay. So, I have a confession you guys is that every year about this time I am a sucker for sleeper and bust columns. That's right. Fantasy football drafts are happening. Maze, you just participated in a draft even last night. Um on Tuesday night, you had a draft. It's draft season. And right around this time every year, there's a fantasy football expert sleeper picks column and a bust column and sometimes in the same column. And you guys, this is not even low-hanging fruit. This is candy for me. I can't quit it. I don't know about you guys, but I love a good sleeper column. What about you?
1: Well, I uh, – Do not make the sleeper pun. I, I I see your the wheels turning. No. You
0: know when I when I gave up? I gave up about 10 years ago when every team that was being written about in one national website's predictions, and I won't say who it is. All right, I'll say who it was. It's ESPN. Um, every team had a write-up that said something like, well, if Don Smith can get healthy and get back to the form he showed in year whatever, this team could have a great year. And then I was like, well, if everybody's just optimistic enough about everything everybody's mm-hmm. going to have a great year and I added up the predicted win totals of all the teams and they averaged more than eight wins <laughs> per team for the league and so I, that really always has kept me thinking well you know who's actually who's actually holding any of this are any of these guys feet to the fire like who looks back and says oh yeah this guy really was a bust or who really was a sleeper and and, and are the proportions of sleepers and busts correct so the whole thing just gets me into a circle of irritation to tell you the truth
2: i am here to take some cortisone cream <laughs> yeah hydrocortisone to rub that
1: rub that itch away
2: area of irritation how
1: soothing maze i'm out
2: wow here it is you just squirt out in this little palm <laughs> in my hand and i'm gonna lather it up on your thigh your my little thigh. circle of irritation
1: <laughs> how did we
0: get here <laughs> I did not give consent to thigh rubbing, but please proceed,
2: Governor. What do we have? Okay. So, my sneaky suspicion about this, you know, sleeper column, um, bust picks, all this is that it is just that candy. It's empty calories. Kind of felt like maybe this stuff is just, I don't know, a way to get clicks. And I wanted to see go back for some accountability purposes, go back to years past, the sleeper picks and the bust picks from the experts in fantasy football and to see how much of those picks were correct. Actually, if they were onto something or if they're just names. And so um, it kind of felt like, you guys, this is kind of what our podcast is all about, right? We're trying to find sleepers or underdogs or long shots players that the players that drafters want to know that they're going to break out this year. So what I did was I looked at last year I did a cross section of top analysts whether it's at CBS Sports or Fantasy Pros or ESPN and I started gathering all of those picks, sleepers and busts and then I tracked how they did in that season. So I did 2021 and I did 2019. And methodology here, I'm curious what you guys think. I, I actually looked at whether where you were drafted, your average, your ADP for your position. So like instead of doing overall ADP where you know quarterbacks might not be drafted so high, but they have the most fantasy points. I wanted just within position. Where did you rank in ADP and where did you produce in, in your position at the end of the season? And those two snapshots, I compared them and tracked how well they did. Do you guys want to hear the results? Yes, absolutely. There are about 300 different picks. And the first thing I noticed when I started crunching these numbers is that it's really easy to make a bust pick. It's really easy because most fantasy football players don't live up to expectations. You like it was I never even thought about this, but like if you looked at the top 100 players in ADP last year, right, and you charted how many of them met their actual production, like at ADP, like they were projected to be the 15th wide receiver, and they actually met the 15th wide receiver rank. Actually, only 60 percent of players in the top 100 actually meet their expectations, more often than not, they slide by more than 20 points of their expectations. So in general, it's a lot easier to make bust picks. And so what we found was in this study that bust picks succeed in 52% of the time, only 26% miss rate. And what you might be asking yourselves, listeners out there, what do you mean hit rate? What do you mean hit me miss. Well, here's the rubric. If you exceeded your draft slot by more than five, like if you were the 10th, you're projected to be the 10th running back and you ended up being at five and you were a sleeper, I consider that a hit. Anything five or above slots at your position, anything below five uh, slots at your position or more That was considered a miss for the sleepers. And the reverse is true. If you were a bust, if you were a bust pick and you end up five slots lower than your ADP at your position, then you're actually a hit there. So you were correct bust pick. You can kind of quibble with the rubric here, but busts have a hit rate of 52%. Sleepers, on the other hand, guys, way harder to pick a sleeper. Sleepers only hit 37% 37% of the time, more than half of the sleepers go bust. Think about that. If you took a sleeper list and you just labeled them busts, you would be right more often than if you called them sleepers. Think about that.
1: Just so I'm, I'm understanding this clearly, the, the bust picks, you might as well flip a coin with them about whether they're going to be right or wrong. They're 52%, right? Correct. And and The sleeper picks you're better off doing the opposite, George Costanza style. (laughs) Yes. And drafting these guys higher than their ADP. (laughs) Wow. Yeah.
2: Basically, the sleepers are more likely to be busts than they are to be sleepers.
1: Okay. So definitely fade them
2: from being sleepers, right? So the idea is, hey, this player seems like they're going to get more opportunities or the spot is opening up or they switch teams, and it turns out we're not very good at predicting that. And I also think there's this other thing this this other thing that's going on here is that in fantasy football, let's say you really love DJ Moore this year because he's got a new quarterback, Baker's out there. You think he's a sleeper, he's the 15th wide receiver ADP right now. If he balls out and becomes an amazing Cooper Cup next year, he can only jump 14 slots. Right. The best case scenario is he jumps 14 slots. But if he gets in the doghouse, he gets hurt, or Robbie Anderson decides he's going to catch footballs this year and overtake him, uh, then DJ Moore could fall 15, 20, 50, 100 slots next year. So just by virtue of there being a much lower floor for these picks than there is a ceiling, it's harder to pick sleepers
0: people think about this as though it's analogous to investing but penny stocks or finding cheap stocks or great the next great tech stock it has the exact reverse phenomenon you can only lose as much money as you invest but if you bet on a stock that goes up a million percent you can make more a lot more money than that it's really hard to think about risk taking or investing or choosing the other way around which is that while you're speculating right this whole enterprise is speculative but the upside is really limited The downside's enormous. It's hard to get your brain wrapped around that. I think there's also, the problem is now is not, you're not just picking players who are going to perform well, right? You have to pick players that perform well relative to the summed up expectations of everyone else, right? To pick players who are going to beat the market while the market already contains all the information that everybody already knows. So that's a much harder deal. But You're being very polite about this, Tom. I mean, the truth is you're saying that if we train two monkeys, (laughs) if we trained one monkey to flip a coin, right, and the other monkey (laughs) to just raise his left hand, if we raise our right hand, right, for the bus and the sleepers, right, monkey flips a coin or the monkey says, no, go the other way, those monkeys would have a better record on the whole than the sleeper and bus picks, right? Right.
2: Yeah, like last year, you know who was like the biggest sleeper pick last year? No, Trey Sermon.
1: That's right. And then he wasn't even their best rookie running back, Elijah <laughs> Mitchell. Wow. There were a lot of people who thought that Trey Sermon by midseason would take over. Then Raheem Mostert gets hurt, like like second carry of the season, and suddenly it's Elijah Mitchell, and not Trey Sermon. And I mean, wow. Shame on you for shame on you for trying to predict a Kyle Shanahan backfield. But that one, people were on tilt about that one.
2: Yeah, and and he busted, right? He basically got buried and that was a really big whiff. But there there were some hits. Like, you know, for sleepers, I, I broke it down by position too. Are certain positions easier to peg for sleepers than others? And actually, quarterbacks tended to be easier to peg in the sleeper pile than the other positions. Quarterbacks had a hit rate of 50% on Sleeper picks, while wide receivers were at 37%, running backs were at 32%. And bringing up the rear, the worst of all, tight end sleepers only (laughs) hit 29%, which is another way of saying don't pay attention to tight end uh, sleeper picks. And Jordan, I'm wondering if you have a theory as to why tight end sleeper picks don't really pan out.
1: Oh, man. You put me on the spot. I think it's got to be part of it is, is, Tight end usage could be low anyway. And if you're trying to project someone who hasn't established that usage yet, or you're going based off like raw physical tools, it seems to be a tough position to play in general. A lot of guys, you know, I I just, there's too many Evan Engrams, right? Who guys who are supposed to revolutionize the position with their speed and never amount to anything. Plus there's really only a couple elite tight ends to begin with. So if you're counting on someone jumping into that group, it's probably foolish.
0: Yeah, I think those numbers that Tom just cited about like the percentages that work out as sleepers, the quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, then tight ends, that's kind of in the order of how, how much a player at that position is in charge of his own destiny, right?
2: In control, right,
0: yeah. How context-specific is your job? For tight ends, it's all about where you're playing, how often you're playing, the scheme you're playing in, and how good your quarterback is. It's about a, you know, how often you have to block. It's about a million different things. Whereas the quarterback is in more in control than anybody. It's interesting though that receivers is that low a percentage. Receivers are really this is this, you know, this whole past month of exercises is showing how how random and luck influenced and context influenced everything to do with receivers.
1: Well, it's so usage based, again. So you can probably most accurately predict running back usage ahead of receiver usage right so and then high volume receivers that you want to bank on the as we'll get into later with some of your research peter you want to bank on the guys who you know are seeing a lot of targets but then there's some real some real variance thereafter.
0: Jordan didn't apply the lotion, but he's all about the good hands.
1: <laughs> Before <laughs> Jesus, he's going to ignore everything. He's
2: trying to move on. Yeah,
1: yeah, he is. Wipe the hands clean. We mentioned that there's a lot of trained monkeys out there. Tom, is there anyone who actually does better than a trained monkey at, at making these picks?
2: Yes, yes. Um, I'm not going to name who doesn't do very well because these are our they're our friends at the end of the day, and there's a little bit of variance. Peter's cackling over there at the labeling. Of- there
1: are no friends on the underdog podcast. This is hard-hitting journalism. But wait,
0: that raises a good point, which is that there may be forecasters who are good enough that it's beyond what you'd expect by luck. And there may be a couple more of those than there are people who are really bad at this. Because again, if you're really good at it, you'll tend to keep your job. So if you're on the bottom of these forecasting lists, you probably- get churned in or out. I mean, it would be interesting to see if anybody's been consistently terrible for like 10 years, but there's probably good reasons for looking at the upside, not the downside of the, the people who do this for a living.
1: I'm just saying that lest we be considered hypocrites, we take, we, we hold ourselves accountable come giant killer season. We do well, we talk about it. We don't do well. We miss some picks. We talk about it. So what I'm demanding Equal accountability (laughs) for the fantasy football community. Come get some, fantasy football
0: pundits. Let's just be clear, too. Jordan really talks about it. Over the last couple of weeks of Giant Killers, Jordan writes more words back to angry fans than he writes text. So he does put his keyboard where his mouth is. That is for sure.
1: you saying I type with my tongue? Oh, God. Jesus. Oh. All
0: right.
2: All right. Let me give Wait, you a benchmark. Oh, oh sorry. Wait. Peter, uh, uh,
1: lathering uh, cream into your inner what? thigh is Whoa, okay, but yeah. my tongue is where we draw the line? I didn't need
2: to see any tongue.
0: Calamine lotion is toxic. We don't need you lapping it up anywhere, okay? let's okay. just Let's just move on.
2: All right. Here's the benchmark. So um, 44% of the bust and sleeper picks hit. 44%. Less than half are correct. Um, and we could quibble on like what constitutes a hit or a miss, but generally speaking, it's like forty-four percent, basically worse than a, a coin flip. Okay, there is one analyst in my study that made sixteen picks in twenty twenty-one and twenty nineteen, and eleven of those sixteen hit for a grand total percentage of sixty-eight point eight percent. Dare I say sixty-nine percent? Nice. Nice. Tristan H. Cockcroft. Oh, interesting. Tristan,
0: wow.
2: 11 out of 16 correct on his – let's run through some of these, okay? So Tristan said Javante Williams last year was going to be a sleeper pick. He was correct on that. Joe Burrow last year he said was a sleeper. uh, Correct on that. Um, John U. Smith. 2021, he missed.
1: Because he made the mistake of trying to pick a tight end. That's why. Hm. Silly Tristan.
2: That's right. It's exactly right. I, I think larger sample size, I, I would love to see if Tristan – I mean, maybe there's something to his methodology. But man, he is really good at this. Appears to be really good at this. Um, Busts and picks. He. I mean, uh, sleeper picks. There's, there's another thing I want to address here, which is the fantasy pros consensus. So fantasy pros consensus is basically a poll of experts, which which players are the experts saying are going to be the sleepers. So it's almost like a mega sleeper pick.
1: Yeah. Fantasy pros in general does a lot of crowdsourcing. So you can even build your draft projections off the whole sort of universe of pundits. And you can, what's nice about them is, big plug for fantasy pros, you can actually select which ones you want to include based on where they ranked last year as projectors. In accuracy. Yeah. So if you're into crowdsourcing, Fantasy Pros is the, not to give away all my secrets for what I use in my leagues, but Fantasy Pros is excellent. Anyway, go on, Tom. Enough. I'm not even getting paid for that.
2: What I found was, and, and <laughs> this, this might be um, slander to Fantasy Pros consensus, is that using that crowdsourcing doesn't appear to be any better than just the norm that if you looked at which are the players that experts are picking the most for sleepers and busts heading into a season, that doesn't seem to be adding any more value or an edge, which is interesting. It's almost like, hey, you feel like you have a room full of experts. Well, it doesn't seem to be adding any more information unless you just find the one expert that is more right than all of them.
1: How much of that, guys, do you think is is two things? One, that Fantasy sports in general are still a lot of groupthink, that even if you do your own research, you have your own statistical models, you tend to want to read and see what other people are doing and thinking, and it influences the way you think. And then ADP is a constant fluid fluctuating thing. So I imagine where players are being drafted is actually influenced by these sort of picks. So Mm. if you like a sleeper, that then moves him up on draft boards, making it harder for him to actually sleep in the end because his expectations are even higher, right?
0: Yeah, I mean- I mean, the dispersal of re- of reporting on any little thing in training camps affects that too, right? Everything becomes news. News affects draft position. Draft position affects the relative value of sleepers. So what does that even mean about where to look for the next edge? I mean, it's it's kind of, uh, Jordan's group thing. point is really important. How do you separate yourself from the pack in an environment like that? Well,
2: Tristan's figured it out.
1: Anyone else nipping his heels in terms of uh, sleeper picking?
2: My guy, Field Yates.
1: Yeah, like Field.
2: Very good. Field Yates.
1: Always loved working with him at at ESPN.
2: He's up there as well. He's got 56% hit rate, which might not seem like a lot, but when the uh, average is 44%, that's pretty good. Um, So shouts to Field. Shouts to Tristan doing a really good job with your bust and sleeper picks. There's some misses here and there, but more often than not, they've been right. Um, I can't wait to read their columns, but – If you were wondering which positions tend to be better than others in these um, uh, sleeper and bust categories, let me just remind you, the top position – The highest hit rate is wide receiver busts. So if you read busts for wide receivers, those are a 63% hit rate. Then tight end busts. So it might not be good to look at tight end sleepers, but tight end busts have a 56% hit rate and QB sleepers are at 50%. So the lowest hit rates, tight end sleepers, running back sleepers, and wide receiver sleepers. Try not to consider that more than a grain of salt on those. I wanted to also give some shout-outs to the best picks that we had in this study. John Brown from 2019. uh, Jamie Eisenberg and Heath Cummings at CBS Sports (laughs) both called the John Brown eruption a couple years ago. He was at ADP at his position at 55 and ended up at 19. That's a plus 36 jump. And then Amonra St. Brown. Yeah. Daniel Dopp at ESPN picked him as a sleeper pick. Uh, uh, Amazing. Debo Samuel, Tom Carpenter at ESPN picked him last year as a sleeper pick. Uh, I don't need to go into numbers on that. And then Matthew Berry shouts to Matthew Berry at his new home at, at NBC sports and Peacock last year. Darnell Mooney, very big on Darnell Mooney to have a breakout season. And sure enough, he did. Um, so yeah, those were the best picks this year, and maybe we'll make our own picks. That'll be fun. Maybe we make our own sleeper bus picks at some point,
1: Jordan. Well, can I take a quick look now at the uh, the ESPN panel and what they who they're saying this year is going to be the the names to watch out for of various because maybe we should avoid them. Well, sleepers sleepers and
0: busts have been running on the ESPN crawl now for a couple of days, so I think it is uh, yeah, it's all out there, and I think there are a number of players where there's. More than a few
1: of their analysts saying sleepers are busts. I just wonder which way to go on it. Let's, let's go through this for a minute and see if we can see a couple trends, all right? Quarterback sleepers. Matt Bowen likes Derek Carr. Mike Clay, who's excellent, big good guy. Trevor Lawrence, you're going to find that name a lot here. Tristan Cockroft, Trey Lance of the Niners. Daniel Dopp, Derek Carr. Joe Kaiser likes Justin Fields. Eric Carabell likes Trevor Lawrence. Keith Lipscomb likes Trevor Lawrence. Liz Loza going on a limb with Kirk Cousins. Eric Moody likes Matt Ryan, who I—that was actually my guy for this. And then Kyle Soppenfield-Yates finishing up with Trey Lance and Derek Carr. So the three most common guys, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Derek Carr. Is there—should we just avoid all three? Is there uh, anything—you could totally see why Trevor Lawrence might make sense in year two. Chris Sims wrote a glowing thing about— how he looked on film, new coach, decent system, Travis Etienne back in the running game. That makes some sense. Obviously, Trey Lance. I don't even think Trey Lance is a sleeper anymore because, uh, you know, to outperform his ADP, he's going to have to seriously beat some elite quarterbacks. And Derek Carr, I don't know, guys. What do you think here?
2: What's interesting about this list to me is Trey Lance, not just because Tristan, our guy, our guru here, picked him, but because last year he was a big quarterback sleeper pick. He was one of the top sleeper picks last year, and obviously that did not pan out, thanks Jimmy G. Um, And so almost like, I wonder, is there value in picking someone like post-hype Trey Lance?
1: Yes.
0: That's the interesting thing to me, is the post-hype sleepers, because after the wave of publicity crests and somebody doesn't absolutely live up to their best expectations, but still has untapped potential, they're probably in a good position, as opposed to to guys who threw for thirty six hundred or four thousand yards last year, have a new wide receiver and might be like a shy... like Derek Carr as a sleeper. I mean, really, like who's been? First of all, who's he's been pretty great for a while. Second of all, he he, has, he had the best wide receiver, in, you know, one of the two or three best wide receivers in football coming to him, and he doesn't exactly play in a sleepy little town. Um, I mean, that 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 one that one has me that one has me wondering. I think with with players who are bound to be good but have gotten some publicity who people call sleepers, there's just so much range and variation right. in a normal year-to-year bounce up or down, right? You could go up or down 600 yards. So I don't think anybody should be picking somewhere, someone in the middle of the pack or a little bit above average or pretty good as a quote-unquote breakout candidate because – Just due to random chance, we all know you could fluctuate up or down down by way more than it takes to get this kind of attention.
1: Right. So here's another one, right? The quarterback busts. Six of the 12 experts picked Aaron Rodgers as the bust. And I'm assuming Mm. a big part of that is because Devontae Adams is gone. But isn't that baked in to his ADP or his... It's not like that's news. So...
2: Yeah, He's right. got to be
1: even worse than the already baked in news that Devonte Adams is gone. I don't know about that. And guess what? If he throws for 3,800
0: yards and let's say 29 touchdowns, is that a bust season? I guess it is compared to where he's going in the draft, but come on. right? I bet you Kyler Murray shows up on a lot of bust
1: lists too, right? Moving on to running backs, it seems the experts had like basically a couple different things in mind. They either picked a young guy who hasn't gotten a full opportunity yet, an A.J. Dillon, a Khalil Herbert- Ken, Ken Walker in Seattle. I've been telling Jordan to take Ebo gain for a while. but Travis Etienne or, or a couple went with uh, Miles Sanders thinking he couldn't be worse than last year. So he had to come back. Again, it's just like throwing darts at young running backs and hoping the opportunity meets. OK, great. And then for the bust, it's guys basically who did better than you thought they would last year. So a lot of Cordero Patterson, a lot of James Conner. And then, like a little bit of a sprinkling of Nick Chubb, Clyde Edward helaire who I don't know how he can be a bust because he hasn't done anything to be a sleeper to begin with, and Josh Jacobs. So, again, when you start to dig into these picks, they're not that impressive. I'm getting saltier as the show goes on, I think.
2: Some of these are already baked in, right? Like, I think the word is out on Connor and Carterell Patterson, where it's like, all right. Did they overachieve last year? Yes. Do we think they're going to be able to do it again? No. So the ADP, I feel like, is pricing that in. And so it does feel like um, these are just regression candidates, not necessarily
1: bust candidates. Now, the receivers, the sleepers are all over the place, ranging from rookies to Adam Thielen. OK, but you will notice a couple of names on here. Tristan Cockcroft, You Want to know who he's got as a sleeper wide receiver? Rondale effing more, baby. Yes. And there's uh, two votes for Jerry Judy as well. So um we're on to something there. There's and there's just a lot of guys who are just all over the place. There, there there's no consensus. You know, you want a rookie like is it Chris Olive or Olive, the rookie from Ohio State?
2: It's Oil of Olave.
1: Chris Oil of Olay. Wow, continuing our lotion theme. Russell Gage, of all people. But the
2: issue here is, if you want to look for sleepers, quarterback position is the only one that seems to hit well. Uh, Wide receiver sleepers doesn't do very well. Running back sleepers, even worse. And then tight end sleepers, just the worst. So like, on this list of wide receiver sleepers, I mean, it's throwing darts. Except for Tristan's pick of Rondell Moore.
1: Well, Tristan did pick Allen Robinson is his wide receiver bust. That's interesting. I love Allen Robinson this year. Oh,
2: this is a good one. Okay.
1: I'm taking Tristan head on here. I think he's another one you're just going to see going to a competent offense with a good quarterback and people are going to forget how unbelievably talented he is. You know, the reports are that they're raving about him in practice and such. So I'm going to fade Tristan here. I I love Allen Robinson in, in L.A.
2: All right, here's what Tristan says. His arrival in LA both strengthens the Rams passing game and gives him a fresh start coming off a disappointing 21, but it also lands him in a supporting role. For all the Odell Beckham Jr. comms, bear in mind that Beckham was fantasy football's wide receiver 32 with a 33rd ranked 17% target share during his Rams tenure, a touchdown dependent player for our purposes. Robinson should have his share of productive games. But if he's going among the top 25 at his position, mm. he's too pricey for my tastes.
1: We'll see. We'll see. The rest of their picks are all over the place. You're ranging from guys like Tyreek Hill and Debo Samuel to Jalen Waddell, Gabe Davis, Amari Cooper, Deontay Johnson. I mean, someone's got to be right, but that's a lot of strong wide receivers. And we're not even going to talk about tight ends because we already said that's just you know a fool's errand.
0: Well, maybe the whole – I mean, what do you think? Maybe the whole process of identifying sleepers or busts should be more quarterback-centered than it is. Not that quarterbacks are the most important position or score the most points or – but if they're the easiest ones to determine who's going to break out or who's going to bust, and so much of other players' performance depends on their quarterbacks, maybe the best wide receivers or running backs to look at are the ones – tied to, or moving to, improved quarterback situations that are good and predictable. And maybe maybe a lot of everything else is a hell of a lot of noise. And nobody wants to
1: admit that, but I, I wonder. Well, speaking of that, and speaking of not being able to admit that, we want predictability. And I feel like there is a stat that is pretty damn predictable for fantasy success for wide receivers. Someone may have even mentioned that in a previous podcast, and been scoffed at by a certain pun-making lunatic. Wow. Jared scoff. Does this ring a bell, Peter Keating? Well, I suppose
0: Jordan is talking about... When Jordan was talking about things like yards? Yards? What are yards? Are yards a valid metric? And I would say things like, ha, that's funny. Meet my Univac computer that I built in my bedroom, and we'll process all kinds of Regression equations and estimates and stuff through it. And I'll come up with a much better model than your primitive counting methods. But I should have remembered my rule one of analytics, which is Jordan's always right. No, no, no. That's that's still up for grabs. In fact, I think Jordan's still trailing in vet the bet. But let me not go out of my way to say anything more insulting. Sometimes all you need to do is count something that other people aren't paying enough attention to to come up with a really valuable insight. Very simple example is special teams tackles. Sometimes you see guys all over the field making special teams plays. Tackles on special teams is not an official statistic. Um, pro football outside, football outsiders used to track it. They don't anymore. But the guys who make the most tackles on special teams every year have a huge impact at the margins of their team's play.
2: Remember the best vacation
0: you've ever taken? Make your next one even better with Get Your Guide. With Get Your Guide, you can book over 100,000 unforgettable experiences in the U.S. and around the world. Want to see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter? They got you. Watching a wrestling match in Mexico City? No problem. Or how about a guided tour of
1: Rome's ancient ruins? Wherever you're going, whatever you're into, book your next travel experience at GetYourGuide.com.
0: Here's something that has a huge impact, much bigger even than that, which is just the number of targets receivers get. We, we can't really look at touchdowns or receptions from year to year. There's a lot of noise; they bounce up all over the place. Targets is the big sample is the big sample size, and targets correlate better with fantasy points than anything else you can name. Better than catches. Better than. Yards after contact better than expected yards after contact, better than air yards per target. So I'm sorry to say this because Jordan's just been saying target, 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 put a big target on my back for months, if not years. But that's a good idea. Now let me let me let me elaborate on this in two ways. One is I've been using yards per target as a way to measure wide receiver efficiency. You know, it's just it basically includes everything, how often you're thrown to and how deep you get and how often you make catches. But there are many ways to pile up a lot of yards and many ways to pile up a lot of yards per target. You can go very deep and catch, patches, uh, catch passes occasionally, or we can catch a lot of short passes. This is something else Jordan is always talking about. Even in fantasy football, Jordan is talking about moving the chains. Yes, move the imaginary chains. It scores me a lot of points is what I would ordinarily say. But in looking at receivers with lots of yards and separating them into whether they were making a lot of catches or going deep, getting a lot of yards per target by getting a lot of yards per catch, it turns out the receivers who pile up possessions are the guys who score the most fantasy points. In fact, year after year, at distance after distance, it's the guys who get a lot of targets, who amass enough receptions, and then
2: therefore touchdowns, to pile up fantasy points. Wait, so let's unpack this for a bit. Let's say... A guy catches a hundred-yard pass, ten targets, only one catch. That's a hundred yards
1: divided by ten targets. We're, we're pretending that you can actually make a one-hundred-yard catch. By the way, go with us.
2: Yeah, just even number. Thanks, Jordan. Versus someone who's catching very quick Wes Welker-type passes underneath, ten catches for a hundred yards. That's the equivalent, right? Ten targets, a hundred yards total, and That's the same yards per target. Yes. 10 yards per target. However, what you're saying is the deep ball threat doesn't, in the long run, yield as many fantasy points, everything
1: equal, compared to the West Walker type. And that's not even counting PPR leagues where you're getting a boost for those catches. And even though the deep threat is significantly getting more air yards, Just by getting the same number of yards in shorter increments, you're going to put up more fantasy points.
0: Yeah. So I took the the guys who had the highest catch percentage over in a season over the last three years. Usually, these will be guys with very good hands who catch a lot of short passes, okay? You put them in a group. They averaged nine yards per target, okay? Then you take guys who averaged nine yards per target, but who did that by getting... Deep balls, the guys who average nine yards per target by getting the highest yards per catch. So, that first group, the high catch percentage guys, are guys like Michael Thomas, um, Juju Smith Schuster in 2020, guys like that, Debo. All right. The guys who got a lot of yards per catch are guys like Mike Williams or Calvin Ridley, Darius Slayton. Okay.
1: DK Metcalf was on that list, right?
0: Yes, yes. So, there's two groups of matched players with exactly the same number of yards per target. Now that second group did get a lot more yards per catch. They averaged about 17 yards a catch versus about 11 and a half for the first group, okay? But that group, that that first group, the group that caught more of their shorter passes, they ended up getting way more yards, more touchdowns, and more fantasy points. So, partly because of The scoring system and standard scoring, partly because of these real-life effects that, unfortunately, Jordan has talked about quite often, the possession possession receivers at equivalent levels of efficiency score way more fantasy points, something like 35% more fantasy points. So, much as I hate to admit it, our producer Mays, the great Mays, brought up a very telling comparison of Keenan Allen versus Mike Williams. And they have comparable yards caught um, over the past three years, but Williams is obviously going deeper and has more air yards, but Allen has more fantasy points. And they're playing in the same system, so they're directly comparable, which is really interesting. That's a good way to think about it.
1: All right. So looking at the Keenan Allen, Mike Williams situation, right? So last year, Keenan Allen got essentially 10 targets a game. Mike Williams got eight targets a game. So, what we're saying is basically those two extra opportunities, plus running routes that are shorter, easier to connect with, and more efficient, leads to way more fantasy success than the potential out of the air yards that Mike Williams is receiving, which, which certainly, all things being equal, would lead to more points because they're deeper down the field. So, Again, it's just so clear. Volume and efficiency with volume are the two things you're chasing, right?
2: Well, I think also it's important to note here, Professor Mays, our fantasy football expert from behind the scenes, mentioning that you need a mix of both. You need some guys who have a high floor and get a lot of catches, short yard catches, and bump up your um, fantasy points that way for consistency. But you also kind of need some of those long ball, high variance, deep threats to win you your fantasy football season. You need a little bit of the variance, and you need a little bit of the consistency,
1: right? Right. I mean, Mike Williams. If you're playing DFS, right, early in the season, especially, he had some massive games. He uh, against Cleveland, he had a 16 target, eight catch, 165 yard, two touchdown game. Like DFS, you're looking for you're looking for uh, ceiling games. So he might he might help you win a tournament, take down a big tournament. Kansas City, he had a a 122 yard, two touchdown game early in the season. But he also had a lot of duds, a lot of, you know, four catch, 39 yard, no touchdown games. Whereas Keenan Allen, especially in season long, you're going to, you want to ride that consistency throughout. And then you hope somebody else bumps up, but you, you know, you'll take the consistent double digit, double digit point outputs from Keenan Allen. It really depends on what sort of a contest you're playing in. Again, Keenan Allen's, to speak to DFS, Keenan Allen's a great cash game wide receiver, Mike Williams more of a tournament play.
0: But there will be there will come some point in your draft or and this will be more situation, you know, dependent depending on what kind of league you're in, what kind of game you're playing where you'll be evaluating players and you'll be using whatever stats you have and Mike Williams had 30% more yards per target and more air yards than Allen last year. Now, if you want you know, if you're looking for high ceiling or high floor, it makes a difference. But a lot of the numbers would make me want to draft Williams over Allen just because of that deep bomb threat. All I'm saying is that by itself, particularly when you're drafting at the beginning of the year, what really matters to amassing points over the long haul is the volume of targets that you accumulate.
1: So what's the takeaway now going into this season? Any names, any Any guys we can latch on to is having-
2: Well, uh, Rondell Moore, Rondell Moore, Rondell Moore. Jerry Judy. So then
0: I think what we can look at is how many points players have scored over the last couple of years, given how many targets they have. If targets should predict points, there are players who score many more or a lot fewer points than you'd expect, given how often they're targeted. Now, the guys at the top of those lists- are often the best receivers in the best situations in football. So um, in 2019, it's guys like A.J. Brown, um, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans. Um, at the bottom of the list, unfortunately, is not guys you can count on to do better automatically. They're often guys in in situations with terrible quarterbacks or, unfortunately, who are on their last legs, who score many fewer points than you'd expect given how often they're targeted. So, you know, these players that include um, Sammy Watkins in 2019 or Larry Fitzgerald in his final season or Odell Beckham in his last year in Cleveland, these are breakout candidates, but there's no guarantees there. So what I think the lesson is, is that you want to pick guys in the middle guys who are not automatically going to regress to get worse, guys who don't have to depend on extreme changes or great luck to improve, but like most receivers, guys whose points are going to follow their targets. So guys in the middle who have basically just, who score just about as much as you'd expect given how often they're targeted, you look at them and then you decide, do you think their numbers are going to go down in terms of how often they're going to be targeted? So let me throw out a couple of names to you and a couple of, of numbers and see whether you think these players are going to have more or fewer targets because they scored in line with how often they were targeted. And so if their targets are going up, I think that means their points are going up. So let me give you an interesting one. Devontae Smith targeted 104 times last year. I think that 104 number is going to go up or down.
1: Unless they throw a lot more, I would think it's going to go down with A.J. Brown's presence, wouldn't you?
0: I do. I do. I agree with that. And that's why I think... Um, even though he's uh, an electric player and an interesting, an interesting candidate, I don't think he's going to get targeted enough to score as many points as maybe people are relying on him to, you know, to improve this season. Mm-hmm. Another example that might fit the same pattern: Tyler Boyd, slot receiver for the Bengals, 94 targets last year, scored 117 points. People see the talent; they know that offense is prolific. Do you think he's going to get more than ninety-four targets?
1: I don't. There's just too many mouths to feed there with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. I I think he's sort of settled into that third receiver role there.
0: All right. So then, let me give you a third one. One of our favorites, already named on this show several times, Elijah Moore targeted seventy-seven times last year. Injured in the latter part of the season. You think that number is going to go up or down?
1: So, how many targets per game? Can you do some quick math for me? about eight.
0: Four, he missed or was hurt for four or five games at the end of last season.
1: If they're healthy, they actually have a couple more mouths to feed too. Theoretically, a uh, Garrett Wilson and a healthy Corey Davis. But I think Elijah Moore is that good that I would I would suggest his targets may increase. What do you think, Tom?
2: Well, considering his last name is Moore and as we've established on this show, Moore is Moore is Moore. Um, so I think Elijah Moore, I'm going to go bet on Moore. The issue is because so many people listen to this podcast and have understood, the more phenomenon, do you think he's overvalued now or overrated? I do not. I
0: think there are not enough people who have any faith at all in the Jets' offense to function at a competent level, to have overbid anybody yet associated with that team, except maybe, except maybe for Brees Hall. But I, I, I don't think. I think there's a little bit of time left before anybody does well enough on that team to worry too much about them getting overhyped. The quarterback's in the hospital. (laughs) Which is an odd way of recommending somebody, since I just argued we should be more quarterback-centric about all this. But a really good way to be quarterback-centric is to look at players who haven't wildly over- or underperformed in terms of points last year and just look at whether you think their targets are going to go up or down, given this situation.
2: Right now, ESPN has Elijah Moore at 35 in the wide receiver category. Is he the highest-rated Jet? Yes. Highest-drafted Jet? Is he the highest-rated Moore? Garrett Wilson's at 45. So Elijah's at 35. Uh coming up behind Drake London in Atlanta, Michael Thomas, Hunter Renfro, Bateman, Juju Smith Schuster. There's yeah, some names in there above uh Elijah Moore, but you're gonna put him where? In what five bracket would you put him in? 20 to 25, 30, 25 to 30? How high do you put Elijah
1: Moore in your wide receiver rank? I think he's a top 30 receiver. 20 to 25. He's sky's the limit, baby. Where does ESPN have, have Robert Woods? 44th. See, if I'm forecasting a potential target hog, A.J. Brown's gone. That team, his main competition, Woods, is is a rookie. It, yes, it's a run-based offense, but the, the targets have to flow somewhere in the passing game. If he's healthy, like I think he's going to outperform his ADP significantly.
2: Oh, sure. Isn't that the only question mark, though, for him is is health? health? Yeah. So given his health, yeah, there's – I mean, who else is going to steal targets from him?
0: I mean, sometimes it works a little bit the opposite way, too, where if we're struck by how great a guy was in a good season, but can he actually accumulate more targets? Hunter Renfro scored as many points as you'd expect given his targets last year, but he had 128 targets. Is is, is that is, – is he going to get 150 150- targets this year. I mean, it's interesting. Chris Godwin, 127. Um, Michael Pittman, 129. They had good seasons, but the seasons were really born of opportunity. Even Amon Ross St. Brown, who we we all like, got 119 targets last year. That's a lot of targets.
1: I love the um, upside for Michael Pittman because I think Matt Ryan's going to have one of those, oh my God, that's right. He's still good. He was just on a terrible team last year, seasons mixed with, oh my God, Carson Wentz was so bad last year, I forgot what these wide receivers can do. So that's an opportunity and quarterback-based move, again, that I really like. Pittman, early.
0: Are we going to have to do a Matt Ryan, on the whole, is underrated for his career segment at some point?
1: Are we going to have to do an underdog's fantasy football? league? Is where I thought you were going.
0: Well, that too. I mean, if we do, it's getting clearer and clearer that at least one of our teams should be completely
1: crowdsourced. And one should be just people named Moore.